Today on the Andrew Kubrater Show, in a new public letter, Biden administration is threatening to sue Kentucky because it claims that the Kentucky state government has underfunded KSU by $173 million over the last 30 years. We'll take a look at the claim, dissect the numbers. Then chronically absent public school students, uh, the, the rate of which has skyrocketed in recent years, doubling in size, causing some Kentucky schools like JCPS have a nearly 40% chronically absent child rate, meaning students are missing at least one day of school every two weeks. I'll go over what I think is causing this troubling trend. Then finally, a Democrat Kentucky State House rep appears to have wrote an excerpt back in 03 where he comes out as trans, but today he is married, living life as his biological sex. A man, I'll go over why this matters and what it means uh, here today on the Andrew Kubrater Show. We'll have all that and more. And of course, I'm your host, Andrew Kubretter. Before we dig down into it, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. I remind you every time, but please make sure you are doing it. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're following uh, or listening on Facebook or Twitter, make sure you hit the follow button. And then as well, if you're listening to this on the podcasting platform, ensure and make sure that you leave a five-star review. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, and you want to be able to take it on the go, you can always listen to this on every major podcasting platform, including Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, iHeart, Pandora, um, you know, wh- whatever your favorite podcasting platform is, I'm probably on there. Just search Andrew Cooperwriter. You should be able to find me. And one more reminder that you can always, if you are interested in emailing the show or talking to the show, send an email to info at theandrewshow.com. That is info at theandrewshow.com. Now, without further ado, let's dig down into it. So the Biden administration sends a letter to the state of Kentucky where they're threatening lawsuit over a claim that Kentucky has underfunded Kentucky State University by $173 million. So let's go over uh, what the claim is, why this matters, why it involves the Biden administration at all. So UK and KSU are both what's called land-grant schools, meaning that the federal government took a bunch of Indian land, gave it to the state, and allowed the state to sell it in order to provide the seed money to start two colleges here in Kentucky. One was a black college, Kentucky State University, a historically black university or college. And the other was a obviously predominantly white college, the University of Kentucky. And part of the deal and part of the laws that's been passed over time and agreements that's been entered into is that both land grant schools would receive equal funding from the state. Now, Biden is claiming Kentucky hasn't been providing that equal funding, that we've been underfunding it. So let's dive into the numbers and see if Biden's claim holds any water at all. So I just want to lay out the numbers before we look at the letter, okay? So according to the University of Kentucky's budget, now understand this, many of you who listen to the show know I do my research when it comes to these things. I go out, I seek, I source. Um, All my budget numbers I'm pulling from the university's websites. They post their budgets every year. They have to. And I'm pulling this money from their line item that says state funding. So I feel pretty confident. I've double-checked some of these numbers against the uh, state appropriation bills that were passed in these qualifying years too as well. And I'm very confident that these are the actual numbers of what the state's funding. 
Um, and I just want to say that because sometimes, uh, you know, I dig into it and people will be like, yeah, what about this grant here, this grant here? Look, this is according to their university budgets, how much money they're receiving from the state. Okay. Um, so going into that. So according to UK's budget, it received 261 million, 265 million, 271 million in 19, 20, and 21, and then 280 million um, in uh, this most recent funding cut. Okay, so there's about 31,000 students at UK, give or take. During those prior years, it would have been a little less. Uh, currently, it's right around 31,000. So that would put funding right at about 9,000 per student. Could be a little bit more, it could be a little bit less, but right out at about 9,000 per student. So KSU, Kentucky State University, has about 1,700 students on the high side. It's probably more like 1,600 because in 2021 it had 1,660. But according to some statements from the university, uh, it has been seeing declines in uh, people actually signing up to go to the college. So, but we'll keep it safe. We'll go high. So we'll say 1700. So that would mean equal per pupil funding would be 15.3 million. Okay. So if UK is receiving 260 to 280 million and they've got about 31,000 students. So that means they're right at about 9,000 a student, right? Then that would mean that if we take 9,000 a student, multiply that by 1700 equal funding would be 15.3 million. <clears throat> Well, in 2022, House Bill 250 set aside actually $40 million for KSU. And at least you think that was just a one-off time that they do it and they don't normally send money to it. Well, according to KSU's website, in the 2014 budget, according to their budgets posted on their website, they received $23.5 million. In 2016 to 17, 23.4, 20, uh, the 2017, 2018 school year, 26.7, the 2018, 2019 school year, 25.4 million and 2019, they received 25.25. So just about every year they're receiving at right around about, let's say on average, $24 million. Now you don't have to be a mathematician. You don't have to have dug through a whole lot to know that $24 million is significantly more than 15.3 million. Because remember, 15.3 million would be equal per pupil funding. But Kentucky State University is actually receiving almost 50% more, or more than 50% more of what be equal funding. I mean, it's receiving $9 million more in funding than it would be if it was being funded at the same rate per pupil by UK. Now, I'm not going to go back all 30 years and dig through all the budgets, but this that you, you get the point. I mean, we're looking at, we looked at since 2016. So over the last nine years, KSU's state funding has exceeded per pupil than what UK has. They're receiving more money. So how did the Biden administration arrive at the claim that KSU has been underfunded by 172 million over 30 years, or 5.7 million a year when it's actually been funded at, because what they're saying is over 30 years, we've been underfunding at 5.7 million a year when it's actually been funded at a higher per pupil amount since at least 2016. I mean, just over those last seven years, KSU has had on average has been overfunded by seven, eight, nine million a year. 
Let's just go low. Let's just say seven million a year. That's forty nine million. Plus the forty million that they just got, which would be twenty five million, and overfunding. So that's seventy four million alone of overfunding, giving KSU more than they give UK on a per pupil basis, just over those last seven years. 74 million. So let's just pretend, and it's something I highly doubt is true, that in 2016 is when they started overfunding them and we've had to make up ground. So then it's actually over 23 years, they wouldn't have just been underfunded by 172 million, because remember, we're cutting off those seven years we've already looked at where they were overfunded. So that means the underfunding has to be 172 million over those 23 years. But then also we have to add in the 49 million of overfunding they've received over the last six years. So really they're saying what, that the Democrats underfunded KSU by $246 million over 23 years. I mean, I get it. The Democrat party is made up of a bunch of historical racists. So, I mean, yeah, maybe they would underfund a black college, but still 246 million over 23 years. That's the overfunding that we did on a per pupil basis. Plus what the Biden says, we've shorted them over 30 years. But really, since we've been overfunding them, it had to be that 23. So it went from, so that means we were shorting them 10.6 million. So you're saying in 2016, they went from 5 million a year, that would be the average amount of funding, to then 26 million, what they got in 2016. That doesn't make sense. I mean, frankly, Biden is going to have to show his math on this. He's going to have to. Now, does he in the letter that he sent us? No, he doesn't. Actually, I'm going to read the letter to you that he sent. And bear with me. It's not super long. It's like a page, page and a half long. But I think it's incredibly important that we read through it. Because as of right now, based upon public budgets... They haven't been underfunded. And you and I both know if KSU had been receiving less money per student than UK has been, we would have heard no end of it. We would all know about it. We know the papers would be writing about and everything else. So let's see if Biden can give us some insight here. Says, Dear Governor Bashir, as we work towards expanding America's position as a world leader, it is our shared goal to produce the best and brightest talent that any country has to offer. We know that you and other governors around the country are deeply focused and committed to education, as evidenced by the significant portion of state's budgets allocated to education spending. We also know you share the Biden-Harris administration's commitment to the goal of excellence in education for all students. And it is through the opportunities provided to our students that we will be able to innovate beyond what we thought was possible just a few years ago and even today. Historically, black colleges and universities, HBCUs, tribal colleges and universities, and minority-serving institutions make innumerable contributions to our country through the research provided by their facility, achievements of their students and alumni, and services that they provide to the immediate community. As noted in the HBCU Partners Act, while HBCUs, including 1890 land-grant institutions, represent 3% of post-secondary institutions, they enroll about 10% of all black college students. Furthermore, these institutions generate close to 15 billion in economic impact and 134,000 jobs annually in local and regional economies they serve. 
to ensure we're able to compete at a high level and develop the strong workforce that will propel this country into the future, generate the next wave of job creators, and fuel our economy, it is imperative that high-quality educational opportunities are available to all students. The Second Moral Act, Morrell, M-O-R-R-I-L-L, sorry, Act of 1890 required that states choosing to open a second land-grant institution to serve black students provide an equitable distribution of funds between their 1862 and 1890 land-grant universities. KSU, the 1890 land-grant institution in your state, while producing extraordinary graduates that contribute greatly to the state's economy and fabric of our nation, has not been able to advance in ways that are on par with the University of Kentucky. The original Moral Act of the 1862 land-grant institution in your state, in large part due to unbalanced funding. The long-standing and ongoing underinvestment in Kentucky State University disadvantages the students, faculty, and community that the institution serves. Furthermore, it may contribute to a lack of economic activity that would ultimately benefit Kentucky. It is our hope that we can work together to make this institution whole after decades of being underfunded. Using readily available data from the National Center for Education Statistics Integrated Post-Secondary Education Survey that ranges from 87 to 2020, we calculate that among these institutions would have received if their state funding per student were equal to that of the 1862 institutions. Unequitable funding of the 191890 institution in your state has caused a severe financial gap. In the last 30 years alone, an additional $172,135,168 would have been available for the university. These funds could have supported infrastructure and student services and would have been would have better positioned the university to compete for research grants. Kentucky State University has been able to make remarkable strides and would be much stronger and better positioned to serve its students, your state, and the nation if made whole with respect to the funding gap. It's encouraging to learn that in recent years, your state budget has taken steps to address this historic undervestment. It is our hopes that we can work together to start a dialogue and develop a plan of action to make this institution whole after decades of being underfunded. In recent years, some states have begun addressing this issue. In some instances, legislatures have provided significant state allocations and other students and alumni have formed coalitions to pursue court orders that ultimately require states to allocate remedial funding. This is a situation that clearly predates all of us. However, it is a problem that we can work together to solve. In fact, it is our hope that we can collaborate to avoid burdensome and costly litigation that has occurred in several states. And from that point, it then goes on for a few more paragraphs to offer, um, you know, some solutions and to ask them to talk to them. But the threat is clear. I mean, they said here, um, is our hope we can collaborate to avoid burden, burdensome and costly litigation as occurred in several states. So the, they're clearly threatening that they will sue and pushing um, people to come together and sue because they say KSU has been underfunded. But as I just went over, the per pupil, I mean, I mean, going through this, they said that we calculated the amount these institutions would have received if their state funding per student were equal to that of 1862 institutions. Well, Kentucky State University has actually had more, as I covered in my numbers. So where is he pulling data from that says they haven't received the money? What are they claiming here? On top of that, when you look at 
that he talks about recent money received into KSU. He talks about KSU maybe would have survived more and been better off, but you didn't give them enough money. No, they wouldn't have. KSU can't manage their money. You see, one thing that obviously nobody in the Biden administration bothered to research before they sent this letter is that KSU has received so much more money recently because they were going insolvent. They were going bankrupt because over the last several years, they haven't managed their books right. They went from having you know, 20, 30 million in cash reserves on hand to 2.5 million last year and needed an, an emergency forgivable loan for $26 million, $24 million, sorry, from our state that had to pass last year. A $24 million loan, forgivable loan from the taxpayers. And of course, though, the Biden administration didn't bother to actually do the research on that portion to know that that has gone on. So if they didn't do their research there, I, I wonder what research did they do at all? Or maybe they've concocted some sort of special formula to what they mean when they say equitable funding. Not equal, equitable. Maybe they're saying what? That, that KSU's student outcomes hasn't been great, so that must mean they need more funding, even though they've been receiving more money. Does he think that it's, it's the outcomes clearly isn't equitable? I mean, does he think, what, another 176-ish, 74-ish, whatever, million more would have caused higher graduation rates or something? And then he ends it on the threat, of course, the Biden administration coming after us. Look, unless I see evidence to the contrary, this is complete and utter hogwash. I have shown you evidence of why this is BS. I've shown it to you. We've covered it. Well, I haven't shown it to you, but we talked about it, right? And I cited my sources. But nowhere does Biden point to his numbers. UK received this amount per pupil and KSU received this amount per pupil. Doesn't come up at all. Now, what I think is clear here, and I think this is what's going on, is the Biden administration is attempting to claim, because they sent these letters out to several governors, that red states like ours are just filled with racists who hate funding black colleges. Of course, he's obviously forgetting that through the bulk of that time, his own party had control of the budget. Perhaps he's trying to embarrass the Republican General Assembly in order to help Bashir win re-election. I, I don't know. But regardless, this claim is absolutely, Absolutely complete and utter hogwash. Unless we see, and like Biden's gonna have to show some data here, some some real in-depth data. Because what I'm seeing is overfunding to KSU. Well, coming up, we'll discuss the chronic absentee issue in our Kentucky schools and talk about why nearly 40% of students in some Kentucky school districts are missing at least one day of class every two weeks. We'll go over that after this short break. Chronically absent in public schools means children are missing at least 10% of all school days, or to say that another way, at least missing one day of school every two weeks. And obviously, they can be missing much more than that. This trend has perplexed lawmakers and school officials on how to exactly respond. In a recent Career Journal article, we see, uh, we, we hear from some of these school officials and we hear some of their reasonings. In this recent article, they quoted a Chris Lance, the assistant director of pupil 
personnel for JCPS, and he said that the chronic absentee issue could be a job loss. It could be a language barrier if the student is an immigrant, or it could be bullying or another f- mental health issue. Now, this is the JCPS, and they're pulling this, of course, from Chris Lance. Now, on its face, those prior excuses may pass muster, and you may look at them and take them at value and say, well, yeah, that's why, now let's address it. But actually, I think we need to take a deeper and common sense and reasoning look at those excuses. Because if we don't know why this is happening, we can't solve the problem. And right off the rip, he throws out three things. But what if none of them are the reason why? So let's talk about the first thing he talked about, job loss. First, it sounds good, but think about this for a second. How would a job loss prevent a child from going to school? Are you saying that the child lost their job and is having to take all day in order to what? Find a new one, fill out applications? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is a parent losing a job is causing the kid to miss school, which is a really confusing cause and effect statement when you think about it. I mean, it's not like public schools cost money to attend. In fact, most public schools in Kentucky even offer free lunch and breakfast. A lot, Almost all of them do in Jefferson County. So sending your kid to school would actually lower your overall household costs because you would need to buy less food. You don't have to worry about feeding your child breakfast and lunch five days a week. And while I know JCPS's busing has a lot of issues and leaves a lot to be desired in efficiency, you still don't even have to drive your child to school. They will actually come and pick them up for you sometimes. But kidding, of course. They will come and pick them up for you. It just may take them hours to get there. So if anything, a parent having a job would be a better excuse. At least then if it's a single parent and uh, let's say the 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 babysitter cancels and so they need the older sibling to babysit uh, so the parent can get to work and doesn't lose their job. Like that makes sense. And that would be a reason that we would actually need to address and, and talk about how do we deal with this? Because we want to encourage obviously the parents to work and move towards providing uh, for their own family, finding dignity and growing their own income uh, and obviously having to constantly miss work because your babysitter cancels or you have uh, um not very reliable childcare is definitely a question that needs to be addressed and looked at because we want you to, you know, obviously provide a better life for your kids and not turn to the government for it. But that's not what he said. He didn't say it's well, the parent has a job and it's hard to get them there. No, he said job loss. But a reason that maybe sounds great, but the minute you, you just critically think about it, it really holds no water. It, it's extremely confusing, actually. I mean, what, you lose your job, and now what? Your kid can't even make it to school? Like, take, take care of your responsibilities. If anything, it becomes easier. Because you don't have to worry about being... You're going to be there, so make sure they get on the bus. Make sure they get showered. Make sure they get up on time. But let's go over the second reason. So the first reason... Stupid. It's, just, it's, it's not real. That's not a real reason why. That's made up. There's no logical world we live in where cut, you lose a job and the effect of that is now your kids don't go to school. A free school 
where they get food for free, where they're transported to for free. So the second reason, a language barrier. Are they coming a language barrier with the student? So they don't like going to school? I mean, schools do offer, of course, ESL programs, English as a second language programs for students that struggle with the English language. So clearly, I think since we offer ESL and allowances for that, and many a times kids maybe, while they may struggle with the English language, they do certainly tend to understand it better than their parents if there's a language barrier issue. So we're going to assume here that he means the parents have a language barrier. But that should be a pretty easy fix. You just have somebody call them fluent in their language and tell them their child is supposed to be at school five days a week. And here's the bus stop. Here's where the school is. If you can't take them there, there's the bus stop. Have them there at that time. Problem solved. And if they still don't understand it, then you just need one visit from a fluent speaker to walk them through everything. And that should solve the issue. It shouldn't be chronic absenteeism. The minute a child is having an issue, you just have somebody that speaks it be like, hey, speaking in the person's current language, why isn't your kid at school? Now, of course, I find it hard to believe that a language barrier means they don't understand their child is supposed to be at school five days a week. They don't look around and see that everybody else's kids are there five days a week. But maybe they don't, in which case, it's a simple fix. Give them a call, speak to them in their language. Kids should be showing up to school. Certainly won't explain 40% of JCPS students being chronically absent. Honestly, it wouldn't explain chronically absent kids at all. Since the fix would be one-off, easy, and then moving forward, you wouldn't have the issue anymore. That child would no longer be chronically absent. So you get a simple solution to that second issue. So now we have the third. Now remember, this guy, this Chris Lance, he does this professionally. This is what his job is. Get kids to school. And so far, by applying just a tiny bit of common sense and thought process, his top two reasons we've just been able to toss to the side and say, well, that's just a dumb excuse. That doesn't even make sense. Let's go to the last one, though. Bullying. Which, on an individual case-by-case -case basis, would make some sense. So if you're looking at kind of like the, the, the micro level, so if you're looking at each individual student, yeah, that could make some sense on why they're not making it to school because they individually feel like they're pushed away. And that would definitely be something that would cause a child to be possibly mentally distraught. Maybe they fake illnesses because they don't want to be at school because they don't enjoy it. And they're afraid of being bullied. So on a micro level, that makes a lot of sense, but we're talking about a macro level. We are talking about a doubling over the past few years. We're talking about 40% of all children at school are missing. Now, bullying has always been a thing at schools. We know that, but according to the National Center for Education Statistics, bullying has been decreasing, dropped by nearly 30% between 2001 and 2019. Now, some recent data is a little bit cloudy because it's hard tracking, especially with COVID. But let's say post-pandemic, it did start to increase. Well, would that explain the massive amount of increase of chronically absent children, though? I mean, the most recent data I could find finds the highest amount of students that have been bullied, according to them, is 1-4. And how do you define bullying? I mean, there's, hey, have you been bullied? Yeah, I've been called a name once or twice. Oh, okay, bullied. But we're talking about being bullied so much you don't show up at school. I don't think that explains 40% of students 
don't think so at all. I think there's a better reason. You see, over COVID, with NTI or computer learning, I think we sent a message to parents and to students that coming to school really doesn't matter. I mean, it's no wonder you have districts like JCPS, especially struggling greater than other districts. It was an NTI longer than any other school district in the state, and one of, if not the longest uh, uh, school district to be in NTI, non-traditional learning, computer learning, in the nation for COVID. For two years, you told kids to stay home and just learn on the computer, and the classroom doesn't matter. And what you've done is you've set up a culture as well with the parents where they think, okay, I guess you just stay home. It really doesn't matter. If you can just be taught on a computer for a few hours, what are we doing here? And then you're shocked by the result. I mean, you've created a culture that doesn't value education, certainly doesn't value in-person learning. I mean, the school itself has sent these signals. It is more concerned, schools like JCPS, they're more concerned with LGBTQ issues. I mean, they had hours long meetings talking about how children need to use the bathroom that they want to use that goes with their gender instead of talking about things like their kids can't read and math. They spent more time on that than they spent on this. They have, they're paying staff and administrators hundreds of thousands of dollars that center around things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, and yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, their kids can't read or do math, and they're not even showing up to school now. I mean, you've put learning third or fourth on the list of your concerns. And then you wonder why students and parents don't think it's important to show up to school. They're not concerned about your other three issues. They're not concerned with whether or not their kid's trans or gay or whatever. They don't care about the inclusive environment. They don't care, uh, uh, you know, about this kid wanting to use the boy's bathroom. I mean, they care. A lot of them don't want that kid to use this girl's bathroom or what have you. But they don't, that may drive them away even. But the point is, is that they care about educating their kids. But maybe, maybe they just don't care at all. But for those that do care, that are still chronically absent, they care about educating their kids, but you don't. You want kids to start showing up again? Treat it like it's a big deal and don't make up ridiculous, silly excuses like job loss. It isn't hard. Your kid needs to be in school so they can learn. I'm not going to pretend that public schools are good or great and they don't indoctrinate and they're awful and everything else. But maybe if we focus a little bit more on learning and less on dumb issues and making excuses for failures on the side of the parents, we might start to actually see solutions in kids that when they become adults don't end up being a bunch of criminals with no regard for anybody else that are full of excuses of why they can't succeed because their parents filled them full of them because they had a bunch of dumb, stupid excuses on why they couldn't even take them to school in the first place. Because when you tell a child or a kid or a parent that their excuses have value and that you believe them, they also start to think it's reasonable and they believe them. I'm not trying to be harsh, but we need a culture of a little more tough love. You say you want to love everyone. Well, loving everyone isn't letting them sit at home and play video games just because they feel like it and their parents don't care because no one has grabbed a hold of them and shaken them and told them they are messing up their children. Tough love, no excuses, get your butt to school. All right, coming up, a Democrat state house rep out of Louisville has uh, a recent resurfacing of an excerpt he may have wrote where he came out as transgender, but today he is a married self-identifying man. 
Uh, we'll go over the allegation and how the allegation even came to light, because that's kind of interesting, and why any of this is even important at all after this short break. So a few people around the state, including myself, received an interesting letter in the mail recently. Who sent the letter? I don't actually know. Its return address is the Jefferson County GOP, but to their credit, they've claimed it's not from them. Now, based upon the fact that this letter was sent to one of my offices and not my home address, uh, I'm inclined to believe that Jefferson County Party did not have anything to do with this because Jefferson County Party should have my home address. Normally, I wouldn't go over this type of, it's kind of like tabloidy type stuff a little bit, but one, Grossberg uh, here, he doxed, uh, here recently he doxed one of his constituents online, revealing personal details about him and, uh, you know, all kinds of things like that. And so, well, turnabout's fair play. And politically speaking, this is actually important because of some of the stances he's taken on transgenderism, specifically centered around children. So let's, let's go over this. So this anonymous letter gets sent. And so far, I found three or four people who've also got the letter. Uh, the only thing we all have in common, I think, is that um, we all have at least an above average reach on social media or we're influencers on the right side of the aisle. You know, we talk to people, so on and so forth. So what's in the letter? So in the letter I got, uh, I got a letter. Uh, we'll go over that here in a second. And then, and it's not signed by anybody. And I got a copy of this here. And it's the advocate from 2003. It's the front page. It's October, 2003. Um, and then on the back, it has an excerpt that it's outlined here with a point to it. And let's go over that now. So I've, I've taken a picture, obviously, of the excerpt. I'm throwing it up for you all. Um, so for those of you who can't see it, I'm going to read uh, this excerpt. So it says, Daniel Grossberg, age 25, home, uh, Grinnell, Iowa, occupation, student. And this is on coming out. I have decided to come out about being transgender for two reasons. First, I am frustrated with how terribly misunderstood we are, often confused with either homosexuals or transvestites. I have no interest in men, nor do I derive sexual pleasure from dressing and drag. Second, I am tired of living my life as a lie. If I could suddenly become a woman, I would do so in a heartbeat. Well, here's a few interesting things. I, I we, we just want to pause here. I want to pause on what was actually said by this individual, by this, this Daniel Grossberg. Okay. Um, so he, he says here, I've decided to come out about being transgender for two reasons. First, I am frustrated with how terribly misunderstood we are often confused with either homosexuals or transvestites. I didn't actually know there was a difference between transvestites and transgender. Um, and as far as homosexuals, I guess what he's saying is that, well, technically, technically transgender people that aren't, that weren't gay men would be homosexuals because they would then, if, if, I mean, if they think they're a woman, but they're still attracted to women, well, wouldn't that make them a lesbian? So it, alone in that statement there, he is 
betraying a few things. Um, one is that he's, he's stated through here. He's not interested in men. He does like women. He says that later on, but then also as well, um, he's saying he's not homosexual, but that would mean then if he's transgender, he doesn't actually think he's a woman, something he also backs up later on because if he thought he was actually a woman, a transgender person thinks they're actually a woman. They are women. Transgender women are women, right? So if he thinks he's an actual woman, but he's not interested in men, and he's interested in women, so that would make him then a homosexual. It would make him a lesbian in his mind. Unless, of course, he's saying... I enjoy just dressing as a woman, but I don't get sexual pleasure from it. He says that too as well, but he just enjoys dressing, I guess, as a woman. But he also likes ha having sex with, wouldn't that just be cross-dresser? Because he doesn't believe he's actually, what? because later on he says, if I could suddenly become a woman, I would do so in a heartbeat. So he's stating that he doesn't think he acts. So he doesn't think as being a transgender quote unquote woman, he is a woman. He's recognizing he's not, but he's also saying he's not homosexual. So wouldn't that just make him a straight cross-dressing man? Or does cross-dressing mean you're getting sexual pleasure? Here's my point. None of that makes any sense. Okay. None of it makes any sense. But what's important is he's saying in the article, he's coming out as strange. I spent too much time on those few sentences. I just, it's so confusing, right? It makes no sense. Um, so the, the point though, is he came out as transgender in this little article that came from the advocate. So there is a Daniel Greenberg in our state who is a Democrat state house rep in our state legislature from Louisville. He was a student in Grinnell, Iowa, who would have been 25 at this time of this article. So I don't know how many Daniel Green or Grossbergs there were that lived in Grinnell, Iowa, that were 25 years old and a student at the exact same time as our state house rep, whose name is Daniel uh, Grossberg, that was also in Grinnell, Iowa, 25 years old and a student, I, I would say we're pretty safe to say that it certainly appears to be him. And he hasn't come out and said it's not. Now, I get sent that, and, you know, it's kind of odd, right? You'd sit there and say, you know, who digs through uh, 2003 issues of The Advocate looking for something, which leads me to believe that if I'm to be honest, Grossberg probably to somebody or a few people in passing mentioned that he came out as transgender one time and then came back at some point. And then that tipped people off to go on a goose chase because people heard about it. And turns out that goose wasn't so wild. They found it. But now I got sent a letter with the excerpt because somebody clearly felt they needed to send this to me. I mean, the stamp was an actual stamp. It wasn't a commercial printed on stamp. And obviously they dug through old issues of the advocate. So clearly they felt some type of way about it. And um, this is the letter that they sent. So I'm going to go through the letter. They make a few points in this. We're going to talk about that here in a second. So I go, the Democrats in Lexington are, this is the letter sent to me that came with that excerpt. The Democrats in Lexington are tearing themselves apart in the special election. 
Emma Curtis is bitter about not being the nominee and is calling Adrian Camol, Camel, Camel, whatever, and the Dems transphobic because Curtis is trans. Curtis took back an endorsement and everyone is at each other's throats. So for those of you who don't listen to the podcast a whole lot, those of you who do will know I, I've talked about Emma Curtis on this show a few times almost a month or so ago. But there's a special election for the state house going on here in Lexington uh, where Swain had passed away. And special election processes, the um, candidate for them are chosen by the parties themselves within the district. So the Fayette County Party chose the the candidate for the Republicans and then the Fayette County Party. Democrat Party chose the candidate for the Democrats. And Emma Curtis is a guy who identifies as a girl uh, and changed his name to Emma Curtis. And Emma announced that they're running for, they were running for that office, but then the Democrats in Lexington didn't uh, choose Emma to be the candidate. They chose this Adrian Kamau person. And Emma was supportive of Adrian. And then since, I guess, Emma has, has pulled back and, and they're fighting. Um, and they go on to say in the letter, if you want to further divide the Dems, ask what they think about one of their current representatives from Louisville, Daniel Grossberg, 20 years ago. Grossberg claimed publicly to be a trans woman. Clearly, he isn't a woman. If he was trans, he wouldn't be able to stop talking about it. Do Bashir and the Democrats, so that'd be does Bashir and the Democrats should be what it says, think Grossberg is a woman. If they do, they will be laughed out of the state and out of the office. If not, they have to admit that people can change their minds and grow out of it, which goes against everything they've been saying. So, and he says a few more things. It doesn't really matter. He, she, whoever. I'm guessing he, just because of the way the one arrow was drawn, the way... This is wrote without proper grammar and punctuation at some point. Sounds like something I wrote, but tried really hard to not mess up, but then end up messing up. Um, but anyways, the point is, um, this letter does bring up some points. One is the Democrat Party, absolutely, especially Bashir, absolutely throws aside, you know, they use they use the the transgender and LGBTQ issues to run cover, and then they discard them the moment that it's slightly inconvenient in an election. Um, you know, there's a reason why Andy Bashir hasn't hosted an all-age drag show, despite his professed commitment and support to them. Um, so clearly, that infighting does happen. But what is infighting happens in all the parties? But what is more important, I think, that the letter brings up here. Um, is that Grossberg clearly identified himself as a transgender person and then did grow out of it. And the reason why that's politically important in the state is because, and, 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 you know, this tabloid type stuff, it's not as about much about you gotcha as it is about asking a question of, you know, Grossberg stood there and attacked Republicans for passing Senate Bill 150 that stopped transgender youth from receiving life-altering treatments and procedures based upon their current belief of what their gender is. And I'm talking about, of course, is, is puberty blockers and, and hormones and, of course, gender 
uh, surgeries, right? Where they're chopping breasts off and chopping genitalia off or whatever. And, you know, Grossberg was one of those who was against the bill saying that they're going after transgender youth, but it's actually about protecting the youth. It's about saying, look, this is something people grow out of and their indications and their actions by people like Grossberg, um, who himself actually said these kinds of things, uh, was that, you know, no, this is, this is who they are. They don't grow out of it, everything else. Because the point is, if they do grow out of it, then it makes a whole lot of sense to outlaw quote unquote, gender affirming care as children and Greenberg or Greenberg. I keep saying Greenberg cause there's a, the mayor Lovell's name is Greenberg. Grossberg. Grossberg, clearly, he wasn't even that young, uh, old or young. He was 25 when he identified, changed his mind. And so Grossberg at 25 can end up changing his mind, identifying his man, living his life as a man, being a man. After writing an excerpt in a publication, in a magazine, if that's what he did, which I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's him. Well, then that certainly uh, uh, lends argument to what the Republicans have been doing. They're right. These kids may grow out of this. Even Democrats would have to admit that these kids may grow out of this and may regret this. And therefore, that's why it should be stopped. That's why you aren't allowed to get tattoos when you're younger. That's why you're not allowed to do a lot of things when you're younger, because they don't want you making decisions that affect the rest of your life that you're going to regret and have a high probability of regretting such as making yourself infertile the rest of your life and unable to have children. So that's kind of the political point. Now, I, I posted this online to bring it up because it does have that political issue. And there was a few conservatives, Republicans, that didn't like this. They don't like posting this or what have you. Um, they want to say it's bad politics or digging up dirt or, or whatever they said. And to them, I say, first, Grossberg published this in an article. It's not like if somebody provided me information on a Democrat or a political opponent of mine and they hacked this person's phone and gave me the information, I would never publish it. I would never distribute it. I, I, I would think that would cross a line. But he published this himself in a magazine. He wrote this, most likely, once again. Most likely he wrote this. So that's not on me. He decided he wanted to share it. I'm just resharing it. And the second thing is, is it does poke holes in, in, in their arguments. If we can show you grew out of it. So why do you think these kids won't? That's a very simple question now to ask as we continue to push and fight on this quote-unquote, gender-affirming care and transgender issue and exposing kids and everything else. It's important discussion to be had. It is. So is it is it over the line? Absolutely not. He published it in an article. Is it important to talk about? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Is it untoward or uncalled for? No, I don't think so. And, you know, and I saw some of the comments on it saying things like, you know, oh, we need to be focused not on a, a D plus 40 district, which is true. I mean, he's Grossberg isn't going to lose his seat over this. He's in a plus 40 district. I mean, if anything, it'll make Democrats vote for him even harder. No, 
But what it's about is winning in the court of public opinion across the state entirely. What it's about is talking about these important issues, these transgender issues, and showing where the Democrats are getting it wrong based upon their own actions. And then saying, you know, taking your eye off the ball of fighting rhinos and instead pushing forward this stuff. Look, I got plenty of time. I do a show every day. It's 40-ish minutes long normally, 30 minutes to an hour normally long, five days a week. I make several posts a day. I can make one post about Greenberg back in 03 saying he's a woman and now he's a man and why that's politically relevant. Greenberg, I did it again. Grossberg. <laughs> Sorry, Grossberg. And why he posted that back in these days, why it's politically relevant. I can do that just fine. If you're more limited in your time in the day, I understand why you would need to focus your efforts. But, you know, I do this every day. I got time. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperator Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Till then, we'll see you.